At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. As a kid, anybody play Follow the Leader? It's, it's like the best game ever as a kid, right? Um, as, a, as a young boy, playing Follow the Leader was great. I had, you know, there were people in the neighborhood, and we would do stuff uh, in the neighborhood that was great. So you're, you're tracking around people. And that was great. It was always great fun, spin circles, jump, you know, do all those kinds of things. As we got older, Follow the Leader became a little bit more exciting because Follow the Leader tended in my neighborhood to be a bike event, right? So you would ride your bike and you would have to follow the leader and do whatever they did, which was really, really great until you started doing jumps and hitting curbs and all those kinds of things. This passage of scripture that we deal with today has to do with some follow the leader kind of stuff. As I got older, I, I remember, um, you know, follow the leader, once you become an adult, you, you don't do that game so much. But when we got our first computer in the 90s, we bought that game that if you were around at that point, everybody seemed to have or talk about lemmings. Do you remember lemmings? Where you, where you line all the people up and they tunnel through the wall and they go off the cliff and do all, they're following the leader. This passage of scripture that we're looking at today in our sticky note series is all about who you're gonna follow. Now if I say, who do you wanna follow? Uh, we're in church, right? So everyone says, Jesus, right? And, and that's true. There's, there is no one better to follow, to base your life on, than Jesus. But sometimes we need people with skin on, right? We need people that we can see and touch and talk to, um, that, that can interact with us. And this passage of scripture that we're talking about today deals with that concept um, in, in, in a fashion kind of like an Oreo cookie, because there's a good leader, a person to follow, and then somebody that's you don't want to follow, and then a good leader that's mentioned again in, in this particular passage. Sticky Notes is our series from the shortest books in the Bible. They're the books in the Bible that, that you tend to not really pay much attention to unless you're very intentional and deliberate. Today is 3 John. If you want to go to 3 John, that's like, if, if you go to the very back of the Bible, it's Revelation, and Jude is right before that. 3 John is right before that. That's where we're gonna land today. Um, the, uh, th this whole concept of sticky notes, I, I, I kind of love. Um, because sticky notes are, uh, you write things on sticky notes because they're really important and you don't wanna forget them, right? You can't write a big treatise, but you can write some things that are critical there. Um, the concept of sticky notes took me back to when I was in college. And, and when I was in college, I traveled in a music team um, basically all four years that I was in school. And, um, and this was back in the day before cell phones. It, you know, there was a day before cell phones, all that kind of stuff. Um, back when you had to pay long distance charges to talk to somebody who wasn't in your area code. And so uh, during, while I was traveling, I would write letters. And I was cheap. Um, so I didn't really have stationery, and I got this idea because I couldn't really write letters on the van when we were traveling. We'd travel during the day, uh, sing at night, and I couldn't write on the van because the van was really bouncy. So when we would stop for lunch, I would get an extra placemat from McDonald's, turn it over, and I would write letters on the back of the placemats. That's ingenious, right? No, it's cheap. Uh, <laughs> 
but it, but it worked. The, the great thing about that was it was a one-page letter. You, you know, the, there wasn't additional stationery that you go, could go to. A short message that I wanted to communicate because it had some things that were really important that I wanted to share with whoever I was writing the letter to. That's the case with Third John. Um, before we really kind of jump into the passage, because we're just going to kind of motor through it today, um, let, me, let me just give you some background. Third John was written um, by the Apostle John um, late in his life. He, it was written probably about the same time as First John and Second John. Um, it's probably somewhere in the 90s AD. It's towards the end of John's life. And when we jump into the passage, you'll see that John describes himself as the elder, which basically means he was old. Um, he, he was the last living apostle at this point in time. And he's writing things to believers that, um, that really matter. Third John is different than any of the other books that, that the letters uh, or, or the biography of Jesus that John wrote in that it's written to a specific person um, about some things that are going on. There's not a big theological theme that's, that's there, but it's, it's very direct instruction to one individual. There are four people that you need to know about um, in the book of Third John uh, that it will just help if I give you some background before we get there. The first is the, is the author. It's the Apostle John. Um, he calls himself the elder. He's one of the 12. At this point in time, he is the last living apostle. Everybody else has been martyred. Um, the, John is the, is the guy that's, that is the apostle whom Jesus loved. It was probably Jesus' most close friend here on earth. So he had this relationship with Jesus that was incredibly special. His dad's name was Zebedee. His dad was a fisherman. He had a brother named James, and as James and John grew older, they went into the fishing business. They followed their dad into the fishing business and, and, and really kind of took it over until Jesus came and talked to him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and said, give it all up. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That was James and John, and they did. They just walked away from their business and began to follow Jesus. Um, Jesus called it, John and his brother James, Sons of Thunder. That was his nickname for them, which is really kind of cool. I, I think that that nickname, when you look at it in Scripture, when it's mentioned, it has to do with the, the disciples and Jesus are, are traveling through um, Samaria, and Jesus tells James and John to go find a place for them to spend the night. They don't know where they're going to go. And James and John go out, and no one, will, no one will let them stay in their home, in their area. It's not like there was hotels. Um, and James and John are really ticked about it. And James and John come back to Jesus, and they say, um, no, one will let, no one will offer us hospitality. Can we just call down fire from heaven and destroy all of them? Yeah, yeah, that's basically, basically what they ask. You know, can you just do the lightning bolt thing, wipe everybody out here because they're being so hostile to us? And Jesus said, you know what? You guys are sons of thunder. Yeah, have, that, have that image there. Um, John's brother, James, he was the first of the 12 apostles to be martyred. And, I, and I've, I, I wondered this week when I was working on the message, I wonder how that impacted John to have his brother be the first martyr that we read about in the book of Acts that, that was one of the 12. Um, as he grew older, he went from the whole Sons of Thunder thing to a much more tender and loving 
um, kind of guy, especially as he wrote. You, you sense this sense of love that he has for the people that God has entrusted to him. Um, and, and love is a theme in all of his writings. Um, John's the only apostle that wasn't martyred. He's the only one that died a natural death. Um, this letter is written towards the end of his life, probably to a church, uh, well, not to a church, it's written to an individual, but there, he, he probably had some responsibility, some oversight as maybe a church leader for several churches. And, and this letter is written to, to um, the second player in, in, the, in the book of the Bible. Um, his name is Gaius. Gaius is, um, uh, Gaius is, there are three different guys named Gaius in the New Testament, along with the Gaius in 3 John. We, we think that the Gaius in 3 John is not one of the other guys. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, but he is, uh, he's a church leader that's, that's, that's very faithful. He's somebody that John cares about deeply. He has a close relationship with him. The third person that's central to the letter is a guy named Diotrephes. Diotrephes, uh, um, Gaius is a good guy. That's the first part of the cookie, the Oreo cookie. Diotrephes is a really, really bad guy. You'll see that when we, when we dive into his life. He was also a church leader, and he was a very controlling church leader. Um, and then the last guy is uh, named Demetrius. He's the, the backside of the Oreo cookie. Um, he is probably the guy who carried the letter to Gaius. So he's the mailman, uh, if, you're, if you're a postal carrier. Uh, the, Demetrius is the guy you want to look up to. Let's, let's jump into the text, and we're just going to kind of read through these verses, one chapter, a sticky note that has some really important stuff for us. It begins, the elder, that's John, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. As I mentioned, there are three different Gaiuses that are mentioned um, in the New Testament. This Gaius is probably not connected to any one of those three. There's one in Acts 29, Gaius of Macedonia. There's a Gaius of Derby in Acts 20. There a Gaius in Corinth that, that John, interestingly enough, baptized. Um, or I'm sorry, Paul baptized in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, Gaius uh, was a common name. It's kind of like the name John um, in, in our culture. It, it, it was a very common name at that point in time. If you look at that passage again, if, if Kathy, if you can bring that up again, that, that same passage that's there, look at, you'll see dear friend there twice. Um, that word, if you're looking at a different translation, is the word beloved, and it's a, it's a variation of the, of the Greek word agape. It's a, it's a deep love that just gives and gives. There is this close, close relationship between John and Gaius. This is a guy who he is invested in, and um, he, he says, man, I love you in the truth. Uh, that I love you in the truth phrase is, it could be translated two different ways. It could mean, man, I truly, really, I really, really love you, Gaius. I really love you. But the word truth that's there also means um, what's really true. Gaius, I love you in the truth that is really true. I love you because of your commitment to follow and to live for Jesus. You live that out, that life of truth. And I love you for that. Kind of a, kind of a cool concept that's there. 
Um, he says, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Um, that, that sounds cool, right? It's a kind of a normal greeting. It's like, hey, how are you? That's the beginning of the letter. I pray that everything goes well with you, that you're doing well spiritually, that you're doing well physically. Um, John prays that Gaius would have his his priorities right in his life, that he would be living that out on a daily basis. Don't miss this. I, I don't want to read too much into this, but I, I think that there's some important stuff that's there just kind of below the surface. Yours, John says, your spiritual health is really important, Gaius. Your spiritual health, your relationship with Jesus, that's really important. And so is your physical health. Um, it's important that you have the right relationship with God, but it's important that you take care of your body as well. Um, it's easy for us in our culture to get obsessed with our physical bodies and ignore our spiritual health. And it's easy for us as well to worry about, to, to, to be focused on our spiritual health, our relationship with Jesus, and forget about our bodies. And, and uh, John says, you know what? I pray that your spiritual health is great and that your physical health is great. Oftentimes, there's a connection. When we're struggling spiritually, it's because there's physical stuff in our body going on that's not good. We're not getting exercise. We're not getting sleep. We're not eating the right, the right things. So I, I would encourage you to just think holistically about life. And, um, and if you're struggling spiritually, ask yourself those questions. Am I doing the things that I need to to help my body be strong so that my relationship with Jesus can be right as well? Because Satan can use that as a wedge to drive us away from Jesus. Um, this, this, let me just say uh, a word here. There are, there's a, a certain type of preaching, a health and wealth gospel that points to this and says, oh, see, God wants... Uh, he wants everyone to be healthy all the time. It's a prosperity gospel kind of thing. I, he, he wants everybody to be physically great. He wants to take care of any problems that exist in your life. I think that's a misapplication of the scripture because we know that, that Paul had, a, he had an affliction in his body that God didn't remove. We need to do what we can to take care of our bodies. And we need to trust God when we're struggling with stuff that we can't control. We need to allow our faith in him to ride us through those storms and to not assume that, that that physical infirmity is directly related to sin or brokenness in our relationship with him. It may be, but it may not be. It may be just the result of our bodies getting old and tired and not working the way that they used to anymore. Can I get an amen? All right. Uh, <laughs> Side issue, we, we have had six of our grandchildren at our house for the last two weeks, um, and it's been wonderful. But, yeah, okay, there we go. Verse three, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 
Man, there's something incredibly fulfilling, something incredibly powerful. When you hear about someone that you've invested in spiritually, that, they're re- that they have remained faithful and that they're continuing to grow. Uh, a few years ago, four or five years ago, Deb and I were able to make a trip back to Maryland to the, ch- the church that we served the longest. We were there for 12 years from 1985 to 1997. And, um, and we were able to go for a weekend that was a celebration of the history of the church. It was a really, really cool time. And we were able to connect with the guy that I served with. He was the lead pastor during all that time. He's a good friend and a a mentor with he and his wife. We were able to reconnect with elders and church leaders that were a part of things there. But to me, as I look back on that weekend, the highlight of that time that we spent was it really was our interaction with three different middle-aged people um, because they weren't middle-aged when we were there. They were high school kids. And, and seeing them now, one, that particular weekend, led worship and, and did a great job doing that. Uh, it was a girl that, that I had invested a ton in as her mom and dad divorced as she was growing up as a teenager. Uh, another was an elder, one of the spiritual leaders of the church, who I had gone on six or eight mission trips with, lots of retreats, lots of time, as, as he was just growing up. Uh, the third was his wife, who was, who was uh, serving as an elder's wife, who was raising her kids to know and love Jesus. There is nothing so fulfilling as investing in somebody spiritually and looking back and, and seeing that they have remained faithful and that God is using them to further his kingdom, to help other people grow in their walk with Jesus. That's what John is saying when he talks about his spiritual children. Um, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Uh, when Paul says, um, I, I have no greater joy than that, I understand that. I, I get that. It's as somebody who has moved around and been in, in uh, multiple places, multiple churches, it's, it's a really cool thing to see what God is doing in the lives of people that we've invested in in the past. Verse five, dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, Gaius, even though they're strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality such people so that we may work together for the truth. Now, if you just dive into that and you say, wow, what's that about? What's going on? Let me give you a little bit more historical context. This is the end of the first century, right? There's not the canon. People can't pick up a Bible and read it with the letters in the New Testament. That doesn't exist. Um, And so they're dependent upon others teaching and preaching to them. And so there were itinerant teachers and preachers that went out into the churches to begin to teach what it meant to follow Jesus and, and to show them what discipleship looked like. When they traveled, it was not safe. There were not holiday inns all over the place. And so as they traveled, they were dependent on people to open up their home. Gaius was one of those people. As, as these itinerant preachers came through under the leadership of, of John or the, um, the um, apostles, have, have died at this point in time, but the, the church leadership as a whole, as they go out, Gaius is one of the guys who is standing up for them and saying, hey, this is a person that you can trust. He's staying in my home. I'm, I'm feeding him. I'm, I, he protected them physically 
as they traveled because it was a dangerous time to travel. And so John says, Gaius, these, these guys who are strangers to you, people that you don't know, um, thank you for what you've done in showing hospitality to them, in protecting them, in supporting them. They couldn't travel and preach were it not for somebody like you, Gaius. Um, I grew up with, uh, with parents who loved Jesus. And uh, from the time that I was very young, we had people stay in our house that traveled for the sake of the gospel. Um, there, there were, I, this won't mean anything to anybody, but there were two traveling evangelists, singing evangelists called the Good Twins that uh, when I was little, they came and stayed in our house. And I remember as a little kid seeing them as they sang about Jesus, but coming and they slept in our home. As I grew older, I, to, I told you that I traveled and sang. Um, over the years, during college and then when I taught at the, at the college later um, and traveled, I've, I've probably stayed in about 350 homes, I figured. Um, I did a little bit of math. I've stayed in people's homes probably 350 nights, uh, close to a year of my life. Those have been incredibly great experiences. Really, really cool. Sometimes people um, loved on us and, and served us incredibly sacrificially, like they would give up their beds so that we could stay there for the night. Um, that's the picture that's there that John talks to Gaius about. Gaius was one of those guys who was sacrificing so that the gospel could go out in a very powerful way. Um, hospitality is so important in the, in the kingdom of God. I, I don't think until, um, really in, until I came to North Point and began to preach more that I recognized how common of a theme hospitality is in the New Testament. It's important for us to open our homes. It's important for us to welcome people into our lives. Why is that? It's, I think it's because when we do that, we see a bigger picture of God's kingdom when we hear the stories of how God has worked in other people's lives. I think that it, it, um, it develops in us a spirit of generosity and, and gets rid of a spirit of selfishness. And I would encourage you to think, God, what is it? What is it that you want me to do? How can I be hospitable um, in, my, in my life right now for the kingdom? Um, I, Paul writes to Gaius because Gaius is faithfully living out what it means to be, to be a disciple of Jesus. Verse 9, though, um, things begin to turn. John says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. He won't show hospitality. So when I come, I'll, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes' name means it means nourished by Zeus. It was a, a name that was unusual in the Greek, and it was typically only used by rich and wealthy people. It was kind of like um, the, the names that we think of, like um, Thurston or Prescott or Reginald. You know that kind. It was it was only a high class person who had a name like Diotrephes. Scripture tells us. John tells us that Diotrephes craved attention. He loved to be first the text says, that he was inhospitable. He didn't welcome us. He will not welcome us, John says. 
that, that Diotrephes was willing to slander other believers, to talk smack about people who were following Jesus and to talk badly about them, to undercut them. He says that he spread malicious nonsense about us. And Diotrephes crushed any threat that there was to his power or influence in the church. Again, this is a church leader. He's probably the pastor of a church um, that, that, that John is writing about. He, um, he refuses to welcome other believers and he stops anybody in the church who wants to welcome those other believers. Diotrephes was controlling. He, he, he wanted to maintain, maintain strict control and he demanded obedience from the people who were in his flock or else. He, he says, you know what? If they don't listen to him, Diotrephes puts them out of the church. He excommunicates them. He throws them out. Diotrephes, I was thinking about this. I think Diotrephes was a Christian Pharisee. And I don't mean that in a good way, right? He was a, he was a guy who looked at scripture. He decided this is what it means. And, and, and his interpretation, he made mandatory for everybody else who was a part of the church. If they disagreed with him, he got rid of them. He squashed their voice. Um, that, that mindset it exists in the church today. The, the uh, diatrophies exists today. In the last few years, if you read about the church in uh, the media, there have been some very public, well-known preachers who have been like diatrophies, who have said, it's my way or the highway. Um, the, the, typically, the writers in the media talk about it as abuse of power. But anybody who crosses them, they get rid of. Any dissenting voice, they eliminate. They, they kick them off their board, off their eldership, whatever it is. And, and John says, man, don't follow Diotrephes. Um, John says, you know what? I'm going to hold Diotrephes accountable for the path that he's taken. Um, John, John had a unique perspective on Diotrephes because John understood firsthand what it meant to want to be first. If you know, if you know um, the Gospels, if you know the story of Jesus, at one point in time, um, James and John's mother, the wife of Zebedee, comes to Jesus and says, hey, would you put my two sons on your right hand and left hand when your kingdom comes? And, um, and Jesus said, you know what? You don't know what you're asking for. They've gotta be ready to take the, the burden of sacrifice and persecution that I'm gonna go through. Um, are, they, are they ready for that? And it ends up causing this rift in the disciples in the 12 because they want positions of prominence. I think John remembered that. He remembered that confrontation with Jesus and, and he had learned through that process that that's not the way to lead. John says, I'm gonna hold Diotrephes accountable for that, for, for that leadership style that he has. We can be sure that God will do that for us as well. Um, don't miss this. It's, it's not wrong to, to be first. It's not wrong to be an early adopter. It's not wrong to have clear convictions about what you believe about Scripture and, um, and how you apply that. But it is, um, it's, it is wrong to not have any voice, to not have any authority in your life, to not have anyone that you're accountable to to say, no, I, I think you've gotten off base on that. Jesus said, whoever wants to be great needs to be the servant of all, right? That's the opposite of Diotrephes. Jesus was the one who washed the feet of his disciples. 
Do you know a diatrophies? Um, I've seen I've seen them in the church. The probably the more pertinent question is, am I a diatrophies for all of us that we ask that question? Am I proud, arrogant? Do I want to be first at work, at home, in the church, in community organizations? Um, John gives a very clear directive to Gaius and to us. Don't follow diatrophies. Verse 11, dear friend, don't imitate what's evil, but imitate what's good. Anyone who does what's good is from God. Anyone who does what's evil has not seen God. John says, John says to Gaius, don't follow evil leaders. Don't follow evil leaders. Um, Henry Cloud, in his book, Necessary Endings, talks about leading different kinds of people. Uh, there's a really interesting passage in that book where he talks about three different types of people. Um, wise people, foolish people, and evil people. Um, it's, it's worth a read just because there's, there's a, a lot that's there. And those terminology, those terms that Cloud uses are biblical terms. He uses them in a biblical sense. A wise person is a person who's open to directive feedback. A wise, a wise person may not like when you, when you give instruction, when you give um, accountability to them. They may not like it, but they're going to they're gonna be teachable, and they're going to learn through that process, and they're going to embrace the change that needs to happen. A foolish person, Cloud says, is, um, is not open to directive feedback. When they get that kind of feedback where somebody says, hey, you know what, you can't keep doing this anymore, they immediately deflect that. They won't take responsibility for their actions, and they begin to, to blame other people. Oh, it's this person's fault. Oh, it's that person's fault. Oh, if I hadn't, if I hadn't overslept, that wouldn't have happened. Or, oh, if my, it was my alarm clock's fault, whatever. That's a foolish person. And Cloud says that the way that you lead foolish people is only with, with very clear directive and accountability, that you have to have um, clear metrics to, to say you've, you've got to line up in that. The third type of people that Cloud talks about, that scripture talks about, are evil people. And I think that this applies because this, this is diatrophies. Evil people, when, they're, when instruction is given to them, they, they just want to blow everything up. They won't take the instruction and they want to be destructive in the process. Cloud says, interestingly enough, the only way to deal with an evil person is with lawyers, guns, and money. Um, <laughs> Because they're the person, literally, you know, somebody at work, if you're leading somebody at work and you say, you know what, you, you've failed and you're fired, their, their response to that is going to be to try and blow up the business, either figuratively or literally. Um, and Cloud says, you, you just have to understand that with evil people, you, you have to protect the organization. You have to protect yourself in that process. Wise people, foolish people, evil people. Diotrephes was evil. Um, John says evil and good can't mix. You can't be evil and be from God. Um, one of my favorite um, images from the book of James is in, in chapter three. James has been talking about the power of our tongue and that, that, with our, uh, that, that our tongue directs um, nations, our, our tongue can change the trajectory of our lives. In verse 11, James says this, um, in speaking out of, the, out, of the, 
uh, in speaking about our tongues. He says that out, out of your mouth comes both blessing and cursing. That ought not be. He's, verse 11, he says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Do you like that picture? A spring of water, it can't have both salt water and fresh water. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What James says is, is this, your tongue has to reflect what's in your heart. It's gonna happen all the time. And you can't, you can't pretend to be one thing and, and uh, be something else. John says to Gaius, man, understand who's good, understand who's evil, and follow who's good, not who's evil. There's a difference between something that's evil or someone that's evil and somebody who has a different perspective on things than you. Understand that you can disagree and that doesn't make the other person evil. Um, but if somebody's evil, man, you need to run away, stay away. John says, imitate those who are good. And then he gives a real life example of what it looks like for somebody to be good. Verse 12, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. And again, that truth is that what's really true, the truth that's really true. Demetrius is, spoken, is well spoken of by everyone. Um, even by the truth itself, we also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. We don't know who Demetrius was, but it's clearly, clearly, it's clear that he was a disciple of Jesus and that he was living out his faith on a daily basis. It's possible, one commentator said, Demetrius probably was one of those itinerant preachers and teachers that would travel around and, and work with churches to show them what it looked like, to teach them how to live um, in submission to Jesus. Um, we don't know much about him, but we know that his life was consistent with a disciple of Jesus. John probably knew him well. He knew him much better than Gaius, which is why he commends him to him. Um, Demetrius is the one who's bringing the letter. He's the postal carrier that's bringing the letter to Gaius. And he says, man, this is a guy that you can follow, that you can connect with, that you can listen to, that he can shape your life. Um, it's interesting that John says he has a great reputation. He's spoken well of by everyone. Don't miss this. Character is who you are. Reputation is what people think of you. Character is who you are. Reputation is what people think of you. You can have a reputation that's different from your character, right? You can have a good reputation and you can be all messed up inside. But, you, but if, you're, if your character is solid, if you're living out your faith in Jesus, that's gonna spill out into the reputation you have with others. Reputation matters for us as Christians. It's interesting to me that in 1, John, or in 1 Timothy chapter three, when, when Paul tells Timothy, here are requirements that you have to be a leader, a spiritual leader, an elder in the church. One of those things is that you would have a good reputation among people who are outside of the church that your character is such that people are seeing Jesus working in you and that they know who you are. Verse 13, I have much to write to you. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face. Uh, peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. And that's the letter. Um, I, I think, uh, God, just a second, let me just say this. I, I love that John said, I have much to write to you, but I don't want to do so with pen and ink. I want, it's a conversation I want to have with yourself. Here's a, here's a principle that's 
true that I think that we can drive from this. Um, there are conversations that are face-to-face -face conversations, not telephone conversations, not email conversations, and not text conversations, right? If you're gonna break up with your girlfriend, do it face-to-face, -face, don't do it by text, right? Um, there are hard conversations that you don't wanna have by email. Um, we, have, uh, we have adopted in our culture the ability to communicate digitally so often that sometimes it is uh, stuff blows up because it's a conversation that needs to happen face to face. We need to be able to look each other in the eye and to communicate our heart. John says, I have much to write to you, but I don't want to do it with pen and ink. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about the good things that are going on. And, and there are probably some hard things to talk about as well. What's, what's your call to action? What do you do with this little letter that's here, this, this letter of 3 John? I think you ask, who are my role models? Who are the people I'm playing follow the leader with? Who are Jesus with skin on that I'm, that I'm trying to emulate and, and to follow? If I'm going to be a lemming, I want to make sure that I'm following the right um, leader. Who, who is that? And then I think there are probably questions for us as we just look and put the mirror on ourselves and say, how am I like Gaius? Am I investing into the body of Christ like Gaius? Am I showing hospitality? How am I like Demetrius? Am I living consistently as a follower of Jesus? How am I like Diotrephes? Am I causing destruction in other people's lives? Um, that's the challenge for us to follow Jesus and to choose wisely the leaders that we let into our lives so that the kingdom of God can go forward and can make a difference for eternity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this little letter, this sticky note that, um, that just teaches some real practical stuff in a personal letter to this guy Gaius. God, I thank you for the way that you changed John from early in his life. God, what you called him to and his concern for the kingdom. Lord, we ask that you would help us be faithful to you. Father, help us to, help us to be Gaius. Help us to recognize Demetrius around us. And God, help us to see people like Diotrephes and to have the warning signals go off so that we stay away. Draw us to you, Jesus. That's our prayer. In, in, uh, in your name we pray. Amen.